If you got your Bibles, uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1 today. Uh, if you would like to use those Bibles in front of you, it's page 909, Acts chapter 1. We're looking at Jesus' last words before returning to the Father. Now, we looked at Jesus' last words before returning to the Father last week, but we looked at them from the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew's words are very different from Luke's words. In Matthew's Gospel, in, in chapter 28, we call that the Great Commission. And the emphasis there in chapter 28 of Matthew is to go. But Luke, as he tells the story of Jesus' final words before returning to the Father, the emphasis is on stay. And you have to understand, Luke is telling the story to a different audience with a different purpose. Luke writes to inform. He writes to tell us what they did, and what the early church did, how they did it, and, and why it worked. And he begins with that word, wait. I want to read verses 4 and 5 from Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, he, that is Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for, the, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If you read through your Bible, every great move of God begins with a time of waiting. It begins with wait. Moses, when he was 40 years old, he was ready to take on the Egyptians. He was ready to overthrow the Egyptians and free his people at 40, but God had him wait until he was 80. David, as a, as a child, David could kill a lion. He could kill a bear. But he had to wait to face Goliath, and he had to wait even longer to lead the nation. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And rather than beginning his ministry right then, he waited 40 days prayer and fasting. And the early church, with the image of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection fresh in their minds, they were told to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so they waited together. They waited and they prayed. If you go on in verse 6, it says, so when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So they waited. What did they do while they waited? If you jump down just a few verses and you go to verse 14, it says, all these, that is all the disciples, all the apostles, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and His brothers. That's the key right there. Waiting is not about doing nothing. Waiting is about prayer. Now last week, looking at, or looking at Matthew chapter 18, we talked about God's plan to make disciples of all nations to go to baptize and to teach them all that, all that Jesus had commanded. We talked about our place in God's plan of, of reaching out to the lost, of, of bringing them to Jesus. But what we see from Luke's perspective in Acts chapter 1 is there is no plan without prayer. There's no plan 
without prayer. There is no success without prayer. We cannot do this by our own efforts. It can only be done with prayer. And I want you to notice how Jesus lays out the plan here. Verse 8 again. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If you read the rest of the book of Acts, that one sentence amounts to an outline of the rest of the book. Because the rest of the book, we see that path. We see that plan. We see that pattern through the rest of the book. The church begins in Jerusalem. Thousands of people come to faith there in the home city of Jerusalem. It expands to all Judea, the the outer areas around Jerusalem. And the Gospel even extends into Samaria, the, the hated Samaritans where their enemies live, where no one went. And you and I today, 2,000 years later, and half a world away, we have our own Jerusalem. We have our own Judea. We have our own Samaria. And just like them, we need to see our part in God's plan to win this world. And our part includes reaching out to our own Jerusalem. That is, reaching out to the people who are nearest to us. Reaching them for Christ. Jesus told them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's that's their neighborhood. And that's where it all began on the day of Pentecost. In Jerusalem, there in the temple. But Jesus has much more in mind than just Pentecost. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's their family members. They'll be witnesses to their friends. They'll be witnesses to their co-workers. They'll be witnesses to the shop owners they encounter. They'll be witnesses to the customers that come to their shops. They'll be witnesses to the people on the street. Jerusalem, that's the people who are nearest to us, the people we encounter every day. You know, when we think about missions, what we saw this weekend as we went to, the, went to ICOM, missions is very often about going far away. We think about going over there to a faraway land, but sometimes... Sometimes it's, it's harder to get across the street than it is to get across the ocean. Sometimes it's harder to, to witness to those who are closest to us. But Acts reminds us that when God starts moving, He starts moving where we are. And when the Holy Spirit got into those first disciples, he, he, they first impacted their neighborhoods. They were witnesses to the people who were closest to them. We've got to admit, Witnessing to the people who know you best, that can often be the hardest because they know your failings. They know where you've screwed up in your life. They know where you've let them down. I love, I love missions. I love that, that together we get to impact the people, people in the world around us. I, I love that, that, that we find missionaries who are doing great works and, and we give and we support them and we pray and they go to people and those people hear the Gospel But I wouldn't be here if I didn't love Kansas. I wouldn't be here if I didn't love this community and and this area. And we have a job to do here. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Jesus tells the story of of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember how Jesus defined faithfulness to God in the story of the Good Samaritan? Faithfulness to God there is defined by being a good neighbor. It starts right here where we are in our Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. But you know, that's just the start. Jesus goes on and says that, that you will be my witnesses in all Judea. And, and we have a Judea too. Our Judea, our Judea, those are the people who are on the edge. The people who are on the edge, 
of our comfort zones. I mean, physically, geographically, and, and politically, you can kind of think of Judea as the county that Jerusalem was in. That's, that's kind of Jerusalem is the county seat, and Judea is the county around Jerusalem. Geographically, politically, that's pretty much true. But you also need to see through the book of Acts that they didn't go to Judea until they had to. They didn't go to Judea until persecution started in Jerusalem. Up until that point, they were comfortable to stay where they were. They were comfortable at the Jerusalem church. The church was getting big. People were, were coming to Christ. People were being fed. They had a few problems. They had a, they had a few arguments. There's this guy and his wife, Ananias and Sapphira, and they did some wrong stuff, and you know they died, and that was bad. They had a few other problems here and there. By, by Acts chapter 6, the, the church is racially divided and about ready to split into two. But they were growing, and, and they were happy, and the gospel was spreading, and they were not about to leave Jerusalem. And then, one of the deacons gets himself killed. Stephen is stoned, and persecution broke out, and they, they had to leave. And as they did, as they left Jerusalem and went into all Judea, the church grew, just like Jesus said it would grow. But beyond those geopolitical borders, you have to see Judea for what it was. It was the place they did not want to go. It was outside of their comfort zone. There are places in our community, there are places in our area that are outside of our comfort zones also. And, and we have to admit that that's, that's true. The problem is we don't have persecution to drive us into those places. All we have is the love of Jesus. We, we don't go because of persecution. We, we have to go because Jesus calls us to go. And we have a responsibility to the gospel. We have a responsibility to those people. We have a responsibility to people that we are, even those that we're not quite comfortable with. The question we have to ask ourselves, though, is if persecution is not going to drive us to those people, what will drive us to them? Is, is the love of Jesus enough? for us to step out of our comfort zones. I'm willing to bet that our comfort zones are less about places, less about the, you know, the bad parts of town, and our comfort zones are, are more about situations. Situations in other people's lives that make us feel uneasy and, and uncomfortable. People that we, we would prefer to avoid. For some people, that comfort zone is Sometimes that comfort zone is illness. I've had people say, I don't know how to go to the hospital. I don't know how to talk to someone who's sick. I don't know how to talk to someone who's going through that. For some of us, we'd have to admit that our comfort zone, our, uh, stepping out of our comfort zone is talking to someone who's going through depression. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to encourage them. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I bring up death and put an idea in their head? You can't do that. <laughs> They've already gone there. What they need is a friend to go through it together. They need a friend who will be there by their side facing those challenges. There are other situations we have to get more comfortable with in our community. And I'll tell you, addiction is a big one. We have to get more comfortable uh, with addiction because we can't pretend it's not there because it's already here. What are we going to do? How do we love an addict? How do we reach out with Jesus' message of, of hope and freedom and forgiveness? You know, there's one thing that addicts seem to have in common is they can't forgive themselves. And we sit here with a message of a Savior who forgives freely and, and completely and, and forever. We have a message like that they need 
that. They need that message more than we need our comfort zones. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. You need to understand what Samaria meant to those men gathered with Jesus that day in order to understand what it means to us. When we go to our Samaria, we are going to the people that nobody wants. The people that no one wants. If you just skim through the Bible, skim through the New Testament, it doesn't take long before you find out no one liked the Samaritans. No one liked those Samaritans, except that one guy, except Jesus. He was always talking to them. He was always going after the ones that nobody wanted. He would go after the Samaritans. He would go after the tax collectors. He would go after the prostitutes. And Jesus says right here, as He's speaking to the 11 disciples, He says, if you follow My plan, you will end up in Samaria. And I guarantee you there was not a single man there that day who was excited. Oh good, we're going to Samaria. Samaria isn't just outside your comfort zone. Samaria blows your comfort zone away. And I'm just going to confess it. And I'm going to confess it for all of us. We all have a list. You have a list. I have a list. We have lists. We have lists of people who are despicable to us. We have people who are not worthy of our time. We have a list of people who we think probably aren't worthy of God's grace. And right now, each one of us could say, if a person has done this, I don't want anything to do with them. If a person has done that, I don't want anything to do with that person. But trust me, every time you make a list like that, Jesus will challenge it. And sooner or later, you have to make a decision. Do I want my list? Or do I want His plan? Over the past couple of months, it seems that suddenly Hollywood has grown a conscience. Have you noticed that? Suddenly Hollywood has grown a conscience. And the things that they celebrated for years, they are suddenly disgusted with those, those very things. And they are shocked that people would do those kind of things. And they are horrified that, that they would do that kind of stuff. And, and they are joking about those shocking and horrible things. You and I have to stop and consider that the Jesus I'm told about in this book, He loves Harvey Weinstein as much as He loves me. The Jesus I'm told about in this book would love to forgive and heal Kevin Spacey and change his life. And you and I sit there in shock and disgust. Sometimes we laugh about them. Sometimes we joke about them. Am I going to condemn people like that? Am I going to make fun of people like that? Or am I going to pray for them? Am I going to hope for them? Am I going to share? <laughs> am I going to share the gospel? Probably not with Harvey Weinstein, but probably with someone who's on my list that's done the same things. Am I going to share the gospel with that person? See, the thing is, if you have a list like that, if you have a list of undesirable people, if you have a list of people who aren't worthy of the love of God or your attention, you're going to have to put another name on that list. You're going to have to put the name Jesus on that list. Have you ever read what Isaiah says about Jesus? Isaiah 53, 
writing about 600 years before his birth, Isaiah tells us what Jesus is going to be like. In Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3, Isaiah writes this, He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him, no beauty that we should desire Him. And then Isaiah writes this, He was despised and rejected by men. I want you to think about the people in the news who are despised and rejected today. And I want you to think about the people that you know in your lives who are despised and rejected. Jesus identifies with those people. A man of sorrows. Sorrows do a lot. causes people to do a lot of things. Acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. One from whom men hide their faces. Do you have those people in your life that if you're walking down the aisle at Walmart and you see them, you just pray, God, don't let them see me. Don't let them see me. You got people like that? Don't lie to me. And you walk like this, or you keep your, or you, you pick your phone up and you put your phone to your ear and you pray to God that it doesn't ring while you're pretending to talk. Right? You do it. As one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. And Isaiah says, and we esteemed him not. Isaiah doesn't say, and they esteemed him not. Isaiah throws himself under the bus. We esteemed him not. I read that. I think about the people in my life who are despised. I think about the people in my life who have been rejected. I think about the people that we, that we know have done horrible things and we want nothing to do with them because of what they've done. And I have no other conclusion to come to than this. Until you want the people that no one wants, you don't want Jesus. Until you want the people that no one wants, you don't want Jesus. Jerusalem. Judea. Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the call. By Acts chapter 17, the opposition, the people who were opposed to the church, they were saying, these men have turned this world upside down because they followed Jesus' plan, because they, they followed His plan to be witnesses. But before they did anything, they waited and they prayed. I would love to see our community turned upside down with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I would love to see people coming to salvation. I would love to see people finding peace through Jesus. But you and I have to be prepared to wait. And while we wait, we need to pray. And that's what we're going to do today. And that's why this is here. We are going to wait and pray. Y'all, you know, we do a great job of praying for physical needs. Every week in our prayer requests, we get all kinds of requests for people's physical needs. This person is sick. This person is having surgery. This person is recovering from surgery. We pray for those physical needs, and those are important. Those are very, very important prayers. But you and I have to realize, pray as hard as we want, and every single person with a physical problem will eventually die. Even if they're healed from this, they will die of something. I, I've read the statistics. It's one-to-one. -one. Everybody does it. Shouldn't we be praying for their eternities as much as we're praying for their temporary life here? 
Shouldn't we be praying for their eternal strength as much as we pray for their physical strength? Shouldn't we be praying for their souls as much or, or even more than we're praying for their bodies? So we're going to take a few moments and we are going to wait and we are going to let the Holy Spirit put some names on our hearts. We're just going to take a few moments here at the, at the end and, and we're going to just wait. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to put some names or, or faces or, or people in, in our hearts. People, people who are part of your Jerusalem. That is, people who are maybe family members or friends. People that you see every day. People who are part of your Jerusalem. Maybe people that you're going to see at Thanksgiving dinner this week. They're, they're people that are part of your crowd, but they don't know Jesus. We're going to pray for them. And I'm going to ask you to, to take one of these cards and write their names on the card and place it on the wall. We're going to take a few moments. If you want to come forward and put it on the wall, that would be wonderful. Maybe someone who's part of your Jerusalem. Again, family member, friend, someone close to you. Maybe you'll see them at Thanksgiving dinner this week. People who are part of your Judea. That is, people who are on the edges of your comfort zone. You know them, but you're not comfortable around them, and sometimes they bother you. And there's a good chance some of them will be at your Thanksgiving dinner this week. So, that'll be fine too. Maybe that's the name that goes on. Maybe the name goes, maybe it's a name of someone who's from your Samaria. Somebody who's done something that you don't want anything to do with that person. You, you don't even want to think about that person. You never want to talk to that person. You want to hide your face from that person. But you need to pray for them. I'm just asking for first names. I want to clarify that. I don't, want first, I don't want last names. I don't want you to write on the back and tell me why they're part of your Samaria and what horrible things they've done and give me their address and expect the preacher to go visit them. We're not going to do that. I just want first names on the cards of people who need Jesus. People that you want us to pray for. We're going to take a few moments. We've got a video with a song to kind of give you some time to, to prepare yourself, to, some time to pray, some time to think. And as you feel led, I'm going to give you a few minutes to just come up and put a name on the wall. I, I want to take Jesus at His Word. And His Word tells me that He desires all people, all people, to come to Him. His Word also tells me that we are to be His witnesses. And His Word tells me that we are to pray for the lost. And I believe that if we take Jesus at His Word, if we do this, God will do amazing things in the lives of the people that we are praying for and, and amazing things in our lives together. We're going to take a few moments and pray. We're going to leave the, the prayer wall up here for a couple of weeks. If you're driving by or walking by or just coming by or if you're here for something else, Take a few moments and come up and pray for some of those names. After a while, we'll move it back to the prayer room and it'll still be accessible to everybody. You'll still be able to pray, but we want those names in front of us for a while so we can, so we can pray for those people. Uh, we're going to uh, just come and, and take a few moments and pray and then come and give us some names so that we can wait together. Let's pray and then come as you feel led and place the name on the wall. Let me pray and then uh, we'll play the video and, and come and put the names on the wall. Father, we want to be obedient to Your call. We want to be obedient to Your plan. And we know that means going into all the world, and, and it even means going across the road. 
But sometimes it also means waiting. Waiting for your spirit to speak to us. Waiting for you to prepare our hearts and the hearts of the people who are around us to hear your word. Waiting for you to challenge us and to change us and to change our world. So today we wait. We ask that you would open our ears and our hearts to your leading as you call us to pray for the lost around us. Lord, many of them are our friends. Many of them are family. Honestly, though, some of them are people we can't stand. But every one of them is a person who could spend eternity with you. So let us hear your voice and know your love for them as we place their names on a prayer wall. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.